3: present where it is always seven times 60 and where we fight prohibition one interview at a time as we oppose resist and educate because when it comes to prohibition you have the right not to remain silent i'm your host vivian mcpeak but you can call me papaganja of the propaganja i am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event the seattle hemp fest in its 24th year found at hempfest.org I am also the author of the book, Protestival, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle HempFest from AHA Publishing. Transmitting from a fortified bunker under a ramshackle reefer radio warren at an undisclosed location deep within the seething bowels of underground Seattle, my goal is to spread the green flame of 420 truth and promote unity with impunity while advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. My guest today will be Dr. Michelle Sexton, a respected pioneer in the cannabis community. But first, I want to address a weekly component of my show, my word of the week. This week's word is perseverance. My comrades and I produced the Seattle Hemp Fest, the world's largest protestival. Seattle Hemp Fest has always been equal parts leap of faith, act of love, and call to action. If the event proves anything at all, it is that perseverance and staying power always pays off, and the power of community can overcome any obstacle. The global cannabis community has been persecuted by governments with a degree of ferocity usually reserved for the most dangerous elements in society, and as much money and resources has been directed at profiling, identifying, and incarcerating pot smokers, growers, and sellers, as has been allocated in the global war on terror. Prohibition is America's longest war, both foreign and domestic, and history will look back upon it all as a black stain on America's collective character. The only reason anything is now starting to change is because of the tenacity, the stain power, and the perseverance of so many activists, activists and patients who've been willing to risk their freedom by outing themselves and their communities as they fight back against this wholesale madness that is all things prohibition. I have a message for the drug warriors and armchair prohibitionists everywhere. Get ready to rumble because we are coming together at the seams and us warriors for cannabis, truth and justice will never give in, give up or give out. Frankly, if we don't overcome, we're coming over. If we can't defeat prohibition, the next generation will or the next generation. Because this is a relentless nonviolent civil rights movement that has been built to last upon a foundation of perseverance, resilience and determination. And speaking of determination, I am determined to segue into the interview segment of this program. Michelle Sexton, N.D., is a technical advisor and editor on the American Herbal Pharmacopoeia Cannabis Monograph. She maintains memberships with the International Cannabinoid Research Society, the International Association of Cannabinoid Medicine, and the Society of Cannabis Clinicians. She's currently the Executive Medical Director at the Center for Study of Cannabis and Social Policy here in Seattle, Washington, and serves on the Board of Directors for the Cannabis Training Institute and Americans for Safe Access Foundation, and she's a proud member of the MJBA Women's Alliance. Michelle, welcome to HimPresent. How are you today?
4: Thanks, Vivian. I'm really happy to be here.
3: It's so great to have you. I'm such a big fan of yours. Let's just dive in. Can you tell us what is a phytochemical and why should we know about them?
4: Well, a phytochemical is a compound and the preface to the word phyto refers to plant. So a phytochemical is a chemical that a plant makes. So they're naturally occurring chemicals. They're not essential nutrients that plants also make, like carbohydrates, proteins, fats, but They're organic because an organic compound is is typically defined as a carbon-containing compound. And when plants produce them, plants produce them for their own purposes, such as smell, flavor, color. And the plants also use them in their defense. So against insect attacks, for instance, or any kind of plant stress will upregulate the plant to make these compounds even more and so what we've learned over our human history of, of evolving and being hunters and gatherers is that, you know, these, these secondary compounds, while they may not need, be necessary for us to make energy, like with carbohydrates or proteins or fats, there is a biological interaction with humans with almost all of these compounds. Do they play a role
3: in why medical marijuana is uh, so effective for humans?
4: Well, I think not only do they play a role, I think with cannabis and most other herbs that we use medicinally, they they are the star players. In that
3: vein, can you tell us what's the difference between botanicals and pharmaceutical drugs?
4: Well, a botanical or a botanical medicine is typically an entire plant that you, you would use such as maybe what many people do, which is to go out in their garden and harvest parsley and chop it up, throw it into a meal, or they'll harvest basil and make pesto with it. You're actually using plant medicine when you do that. And you don't just take out a part of the plant. You chop it up and you use everything that's there. And so botanical medicine is typically using the whole plant in some way, traditionally, that has been making teas with it, drying it, making a tea, using it raw, making other kinds of extracts such as with vinegar or alcoholic extracts. So it's many, many compounds and we don't know even what all of those compounds are. We don't know how they may all be working together in what we call synergy, but humans have known since recorded history that these plants often have beneficial effects. On the other hand, pharmaceuticals, rather a modern invention, and came from phytochemicals, such as what everybody would know, aspirin. Hippocrates, who is considered the the father of Western medicine, who lived, uh, I think, around 400 B.C., he advocated the use of willow bark as part of his approach to the healing power of nature and it was from willow bark that the compound we know as aspirin was synthesized so these are pharmaceuticals are typically synthesized molecules not just those isolated from nature
3: Interesting. Michelle, does the presence of the human endocannabinoid system, where we all apparently have cannabinoid receptors built into our DNA, does that indicate that humans have been consuming cannabis for millennia, perhaps since the dawn of human evolution?
4: For people who don't know, endocannabinoids are natural lipids that our bodies make, along with the receptors, which are proteins that they bind to for signaling. And the all of the, these compounds and their receptors are, have been highly conserved in evolution. You know, even before humans, we're talking about an invertebrate had components of this endocannabinoid system. So the one that's been researched is a sea squirt. And it's thought that this is a highly conserved system that even goes back as far as a single-celled organism or the archaebacteria. So it's an ancient phenomenon that may have existed prior to plant life even.
3: Fascinating. Okay, well, we're just getting started, but this is a fascinating conversation, but we're going to take a quick pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back with Michelle Sexton.
2: Time to roll out for the people that let us present. Hang loose. We're coming right back.
0: Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world.
2: Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at Orangehilldevelopment.com. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The State of Cannabis. To hemp Present only on Cannabis Radio. Now back to our headstrong Emperor of Hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we're
3: back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Dr. Michelle Sexton. Michelle, was cannabis not one of the primary ingredients used for medicines prior to the reefer madness policies of the 20th century? And if so, what happened?
4: Well, it wasn't just a primary ingredient, it, it was a a pharmaceutical medicine that almost all of the pharmaceutical companies of that day produced and had on the market. I'm not an expert on the politics of it all. I wouldn't be the right person to say entirely what happened, but from a medical perspective, as far as I can understand, you know, at that time herbal collection was basically wildcrafting. So you went out where it was growing wild and you collected it in a field And if you can imagine the biodiversity that would be in a field, so one plant might have a profile that was a lot like hemp, while another one right next to it could be a a high THC producer. But since we had an isolated THC at that point chemically, nobody knew what the active ingredient was. And all we knew was it was called a, quote, red oil, this extract that was being made. And if you gave it to human beings you couldn't always predict how potent it was going to be because they didn't know what this active component was. And so that that is one of the reasons that medicine, as it became organized, started having greater scrutiny of anything that was being used as a medicine. You know, they wanted reproducible and predictable effects. And everybody knew it had strong effects, but had no idea about what was causing it. So, you can imagine there you know there was probably a bit of fear involved in that, but also just wanting to ensure you know the health and safety of patients, I think
3: a typical fill of the cancer drug, Avastin, can cost more than five thousand bucks just for two vials over the course of a year, that can cost patients up to one hundred thousand dollars. A typical fill of Herceptin can cost cost around seventy thousand dollars. But these chemotherapy drugs have been proven in some studies to be only two point one percent effective toward a five year survival. But a one month supply of medical marijuana could cost as low as five hundred dollars. Why are these pharmaceutical treatments so cost prohibitive?
4: Well I think part of the reason is the cost of producing them. It can cost a pharmaceutical company literally uh, billions of dollars to take a drug through the entire development process from starting with the chemical synthesis, taking it all the way through human trials. So a company has invested quite a bit of money if it makes it through those trials and makes it to the market. And of course, they're looking you know, to get their investment back and also to profit. So, you know, I think the profit margins are probably a bit ridiculous at this point when you consider the how much benefit that there is for human beings, and I consider it all part of what I call the healthcare machine. We've become reliant on this form of healthcare where we think we need these single-agent pharmaceuticals for health and life, and I think perhaps what we're learning is that uh, prevention and natural healthcare might actually be as effective.
3: Well, in that vein, these cost-prohibitive sometimes... And sometimes very effective prescription drugs still result in the death of over 100,000 people each year, either directly or indirectly. Yet cannabis has never killed a single person, uh, documentable at least, in, I think, from my layman's point of view in five to 10,000 years of human consumption. Are you hopeful that we may someday replace many of these dangerous, toxic, and cost-prohibitive fossil fuel-derived substances with cannabis compounds?
4: Well, from my perspective, you know, Vivian, and you know I'm a naturopathic doctor, and I got interested in herbs from, from a teenager. I was, this was back in the 70s, and uh, it's, it's been the way I've lived my life and tried to influence others that, you know, natural health, it's, it's a viable approach to health. And I see this renaissance of cannabis actually as a gateway to natural medicine, and you see it more and more um, as people are talking about cannabis. Often they'll start talking about other plants as well. And we have many other plants that can provide benefit. So I I am the eternal optimist. And I'm always <laughs> hopeful, you know, that humanity is going to continue to evolve and that we're going to come to our senses with regards to what is sustainable medicine.
3: I've long believed that cannabis is one of the most therapeutic natural substances found on earth. And that might be an overstatement, I don't know, but my old friend Jack Hare certainly used to believe that. Do you agree is that an overstatement?
4: Well, I don't know that it's an overstatement. I I think that it's cannabis along with some other plants that are actually also on schedule 1 in the United States have, you know, some really interesting Effects on human biology, and that is on our perception. And so I I consider cannabis and some of these other plants as the pentultimate mind-body medicine because they have compounds that can affect our mind, how our mind thinks, how we store memory, for instance, with cannabis, memory recall. Our sensory perception, everything we see, hear, feel, taste, touch, and even smell. You know, by smelling cannabis or other aromatic plants, we're stimulating these deep limbic parts of the brain. But at the same time, these compounds can also be out in the periphery of our body in the blood circulating around and binding receptors and having actions.
3: Here in, in Washington State, Initiative 502, quote, legalized cannabis on the state level, depending on what one's definition of legalized is. And now we have Senate Bill 5052 and the subsequent SB 2136, essentially rolling back many of the medical marijuana advancements that came with I-692 in 19, 1998. In your opinion, what will be the effect on doctors and the patient community in our state of these, these recent bills?
4: I really see these bills... As quite a travesty to the doctor patient relationship for a number of reasons. Probably number one, because these new regulations have absolutely nothing to do with patient safety or patient access and helping the patient. From my perspective, it appears to be a way to rein in this other side of the industry so that all the money can go through a single system. But in doing this, Cracking down on the doctors. Now there's a standardized form by the state where the doctor's required to check a box for the patient's existing condition. And I think many of us are concerned that this is a breach of confidentiality, HIPAA compliance. You know, a patient then has to walk into a retail store and show this document which states their medical condition right up front. And we haven't really gotten any word yet on whether that could be covered legally or not, if they could cover it like with a sticky or something, if they don't want somebody to know their diagnosis. Another thing that it did is that it precludes doctors being able to make home visits. You know, many of us are seeing patients that are either terminally ill or they're homebound. They they have absolutely no capability to leave their homes because they're not ambulatory. And so this is really putting a burden on the patient now has to get out and go to the doctor's place of business just to get a medicine that could increase their quality of life, take their pain away, and maybe even provide a decent end of life for them. I think that there's many doctors who are really rethinking whether they're going to write these, these recommendations for cannabis anymore. Another thing that I'm pretty unhappy with that I think is policy not well based on science is the limited number of conditions that are allowed in the state of Washington. This is another example of what I think should be, you know, the doctor-patient relationship, that the doctor can use their judgment along with the clinical information about the patient to decide whether cannabis is a good medicine for any individual patient.
3: Well, Michelle, I could talk to you all day. You are such a treasure trove of information. Thank you so much. How can people find out more about your important work?
4: Go to the website for the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy, and there you can take a look at the kind of work that we do and consider donating. We strive to publish information that will influence policy.
3: Thank you so much, Michelle, for being on Present on Cannabis Radio. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here from our sponsors. I'll be back with my quote of the week.
2: Time to roll out for the people that let us Present. Hang loose. We're coming right back.
1: MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today.
0: Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around.
2: to Hemp Present only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong Emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak.
3: And we are back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. I am Vivian McPeak. I want to get to another weekly feature of Hemp Present on CannabisRadio.com, and that is the quote of the week. And it goes like this, Few men are willing to brave the disapproval of their peers, The censure of their colleagues and the wrath of their society. Moral courage is a rare commodity, rarer than the bravery in battle or great intelligence. Yet it is one of the essential, vital qualities for those who seek to change a world that yields most painfully to change. And that is a quote from Robert F. Kennedy. When I was a child, I lived one half a block away from the Ambassador Hotel where Robert Kennedy was assassinated. My grandfather was, the, was a senior national representative for the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO, uh, one of the largest federal government labor unions. I live with my grandparents. My grandfather introduced me to the Vice President Hubert Humphrey a couple times, and on my wall in my office, I have two Western Union telegrams from Robert Kennedy to my grandfather, inviting him to the Ambassador Hotel for a luncheon when Robert Kennedy was shot and killed. I heard the sirens. I was 10 years old in 1968. It was a huge event in my life. I will never forget that day when Robert Kennedy lost his life. Uh, He was one of many people from that time period who stood for peace and justice and helped mold the America that we live in today, an America that could learn a lot from looking back on that period in the 1960s, which was a renaissance in many ways, a spiritual, political, and social renaissance with all the problems and all the warts that that time period had. It certainly molded me and was a big part of why I'm an activist today and why I have the optimism and the audacity to think that we can change this country and this world and make it better for the generations that are coming after us. This just about concludes this installment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. I sincerely want to thank my producers and all of our fine sponsors. It's been such a pleasure getting my feet wet with this incredible resource for the Force of Freedom Cannabis Radio. I'm looking forward to my next guest next week, poster and art guru Art Chantry. He's worked on many of the early Seattle Hempfest posters, including our 1994 poster, which hangs today in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Remember that when it comes to prohibition, you have the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so speak up for justice and remember to hemp present because you never resent the hemp. This is Vivian McPeak on Hemp Present on the Cannabis Radio Network saying, see you next week. We'll THC you later. Freedom fighter We must unite
2: Fight the blood!